Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. So that is a familiar passage to many, and it is a lengthy passage. So I want to read quickly. And so uh, once you're there, just catch up with me. I'm going to go ahead. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest. In our vernacular, he said, Do you know what you're reading right now? And, and he said, being the eunuch, How can I? Except some man should guide me. How can I know what I'm reading unless somebody explains it to me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man. Is he talking about himself? Who is this lamb slain? Who is this one that will bear our stripes and our bruises? Who is this one? Is is the prophet talking about himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Amen. And as they went on their way, they came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, Here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Oh, what a word. I don't have to preach too much more than that. What a word. There is one coming who's going to be bruised, who's going to be slain, and he is going to save us from our sins, and his name is Jesus. Amen. I want to preach to you from that passage and from this title. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is is for everyone why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them salvation is for you amen amen you may be seated this morning amen salvation is for everyone acts chapter 8 is a triumphant account at the end of a tragic story While we don't see the eunuch's entire life story in the biblical account, there is enough here to piece together his sad narrative. He was probably born into slavery, or at least he became a slave at a very young age. His cruel masters, to ensure he would never grow to full maturity and masculinity, would mutilate his body for their own convenience. 
In the midst of his sad beginnings, a wise and accountable young man would emerge. He would somehow set himself apart from the rest of the captives in his land. Much like the Old Testament hero Joseph, who was blessed and accomplished even while in captivity, this eunuch found favor with the powers superior to him. We can deduce this from the verse 27 which reads, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure. This was no ordinary slave. He was not considered a flight risk by his masters. He was no threat in their mind. Queen Candace had come to respect him so dearly that she gave him great authority and placed him in charge of all of her treasure. You want to find out if somebody really trusts you? Go ask them to borrow 100 till Tuesday. I'm like, get out of here. I barely even know you. You're my mother. You know who I am. <laughs> but Queen Candace respected this eunuch enough to put him in charge of all of her treasure. He was an accountable, wise, good young man. In spite of all of his disadvantages, he had prospered. He had risen above his circumstances and become an important person in his world. However, there was still something missing. He was not fulfilled with achievement, authority, respect, or wealth. And likewise, you and I will never be fulfilled with the things of this world. I'm going to pause here for a second and say, nothing in this world will satisfy your soul. Nothing in this world will heal your body and make you whole, will put your mind and heart back together. Nothing in this world will satisfy. We see it almost daily as the wealthy, the rich, the, the, the well-liked, the famous, the acclaimed take their own life. Their marriages end in divorce. Drug addiction rattles their bodies because what, we still, what our society reaches for to satisfy never will satisfy. Nothing that any, any society has ever told you would satisfy will satisfy this young man had reached for all the things that his world might convince him would make him feel whole and yet there was still something missing deep down in his soul this is true of us today and it was true of the eunuch in his day although he had achieved far more than was expected of him and reached heights probably no one else of his station ever had reached. He was hungry for more. He longed for a completeness of his soul. It is likely Jerusalem was not the first place he looked. There were probably attempts to find fulfillment from other sources. The way you and I attempt to find fulfillment in other sources. He probably looked at relationship and ritual and, and other religions where were probably easy starting points for him. But they were to no avail. He, he likely expanded his search outside the borders of Ethiopia to neighboring nations. But again, he was found wanting. Eventually, Israel and Jerusalem caught his attention. He heard of an ancient people blessed by God, 
a people who many times had been defeated and swallowed up by foreign powers, but, but somehow always emerged more prosperous and powerful than before. No doubt his intrigue leads him to stories of great prophets, powerful plagues, and a personal God. This, he thought, this is what I am looking for. This is beyond. This is better. This is more than I have ever been promised before. A God who would love me. A God who would save me. A God who would heal me. A God that would be interested in knowing me. This time he thought, He had found what he was looking for. I will go to Jerusalem and there I will find the answer to my soul's desires. There I will find the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There I will find the God that led Moses and his people out of Egypt. Verse 27 makes it very clear. He had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was not visiting the Holy Land sites. He was not there on a fact-finding mission. He was not there as an emissary of Queen Candace. He went to Jerusalem to meet and worship God. That's why he was there. So he began a journey that would be roughly 1,500 miles one way by chariot. Think about that. It'd take a day and a half to drive 1,500 miles in your, in your vehicle with a couple hundred horsepower. This fella had two horsepower. They were horses. Follow, follow me. He, he was in a chariot. This, this journey was going to take months. This journey was going to take time. He was an important person. He would have had a large caravan to protect him. They would have been packing food and and, and bedding for the journey across the desert. This was an undertaking. This was a big deal. He didn't just say, I'm going to hop in the car, drive down to 1130 service at Atlanta West, and see if it is what everybody says it is. This was a big deal. So he begins his journey heading 1,500 miles Once he arrived, he would still be full of energy because Israel promised to hold the answers his spirit longed for. The morning would greet him with such promise. He knew that the temple would be a place to start. Surely there someone could show him the path, explain to him the scriptures, and introduce him to the Lord. With a steady and joyous pace, he made his way to the temple. And what a glorious temple it was. It was full of people coming and going. He could hear songs of praise and scripture being recited. He could see a priest robed in beautiful garments, magnificent garments, entering and exiting the gates. And the eunuch thought, the search is finally over. I have finally arrived. I have finally gotten to the place where God communicates with his people and I am going to get my need met what happened next he did not expect at the gate stood waiting a strong armed temple guard he blocked the path of the eunuch and forcefully expressed you sir are not welcome here you cannot enter the temple You are not an Israelite, 
And to make matters worse, you are a eunuch. His clothes, complexion, and caravan were a dead giveaway. This man did not belong in the temple. Deuteronomy 23 and Leviticus 21 make it very clear that a blemished, wounded, deformed man could not enter into the congregation. A eunuch, without a doubt, carried blemishes, wounds, and deformities that in the eyes of the Old Testament law disqualified him from a relationship with God. You know what? There's an awful lot of people alive today that believe I am disqualified. I carry scars. I carry wounds. I carry embarrassment. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm from the wrong family. I'm from the wrong culture. I'm from the wrong background. I would never be accepted. I would never be invited. They would. Ne- I would never, if they found out who I was, if they knew what I had done, if they knew, I could never be accepted there. So many believe that today, just like that man believed his day. In his mind, This journey was a waste. 1,500 miles, thousands upon thousands of dollars spent. People's lives turned upside down to bring him to Israel and back. Food wasted, time wasted, journey wasted. Soul more crushed than it had ever been before. This was my final opportunity. And now this was a waste of time too. Jerusalem and Israel could offer him no more than all the pagan nations had offered him. He would journey 1,500 miles home, just as empty as he had come, devastated, disenfranchised, and discarded. He journeyed home empty and broken. But God saw all of this. It is unbelievable what God will do for a hungry heart. For someone who says, I will journey, I will seek. The Bible says, if you will seek him, you will find him. If you will knock, the door will be open unto you. And God saw this eunuch and he said, I'm going to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. I'm going to send a preacher. I'm going to send a church service right where he is. He will make a way. Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's not a question of it when. It's a question. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. If you believe that the Lord wants to heal you, deliver you, save you, set you free, fill you with his spirit, wash you in his blood, make you a part of his bride and body. It does. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. When are you going to get to that altar? When are you going to get to that water? When are you going to get your hands lifted? When are you going to accept what God wants to do in your life Jesus sees the desire of this eunuch to meet God so he finds a preacher and sends him to this into the wilderness Philip had been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in Samaria and a great revival began there he is preaching and people are being baptized in the name of Jesus He is preaching they are being delivered of sins. They are being healed of all manner of infirmities. 
Philip is exactly where we would expect he needed to be. You know, if I was Philip, I probably would have went over to the church sign company and I'd have had him put a big sign, put a big sign together, First Church of Samaria, Pastor Cole B.B., come and see. That's what we would do. But God is more interested in a lonely Ethiopian eunuch who has been discarded and pushed aside out in a wilderness by himself. And so God speaks to Philip and he says, Philip, I need you to go find somebody that is hungry and thirsty. And I need you to tell them about me so that they can be saved. So the word of the Lord says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And verse 30 says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand what thou readest. So get the picture. Chariot due south, Ethiopia desert. And alongside the chariot, comes Philip hey dude's reading what is going on here this dude is fast he's right do you know what you're reading and then the whole story is wrapped up in this next phrase the eunuch looks at Philip sometimes you just read over this and you don't really think about the implications but I think with tears in his eyes and maybe through gritted teeth, a little bit angry and a little broken hearted, he looks at Philip and says, how can I? No one will explain it to me. I need to know who is this one that was bruised and wounded. Who is this one that took my sin upon him? I need to know. Is it the prophet or is it someone else? Has it happened yet? Or should we look for another? Somebody tell me. Somebody explain to me. I need this Savior. And the Bible says that Philip joined himself to the chariot. And he preached Jesus. Hey, young preacher, if you don't know what to preach, it seems like Philip had one message in Samaria. He preached Jesus Christ. And in the, in the desert, he preached Jesus Christ. You need healing? Jesus. You need deliverance? Jesus. You need a marriage put back together? Jesus. You need forgiveness? Jesus. You need washing of sins? Jesus. You need the infilling of the Spirit? Jesus. Whatever you need, I've got the answer. His name is Jesus. Anybody remember when you were introduced to Jesus? Why don't you just worship the Lord for a second? I need to know. I need to know. You need to know whose stripes can heal me. Will you teach me? Will you explain it to me? Who can heal? Who can deliver? Who can set free? Is it for me? Does my past disqualify me? Do my scars separate me from the promises? And the Bible says Philip preached 
Jesus. The Bible says the eunuch is reading in Isaiah. It is what we would refer to as Isaiah 53. The story also tells us Philip started at that same scripture. But that is all we know. We don't know what Philip preached. But we know when he was done preaching, the eunuch was fully persuaded that Jesus was who he was looking for. And he was baptized in Jesus' name. We don't know exactly what Philip preached. But we know he preached Jesus. And when he was done, the eunuch said, I need to be baptized. There's an awful lot of preachers today that will say things like, just preach Jesus. And what they mean is, don't preach doctrine. Don't preach holiness. Don't preach righteousness. Don't preach repentance. Don't preach turn from this wicked world and walk towards Jesus. That's what they mean when they say just preach Jesus. But when Philip preached Jesus, people went to the waters of baptism. When Philip preached Jesus, they repented of their sins. When Philip preached Jesus, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. When Philip preached Jesus, they were delivered of captivity. It wasn't some just throwaway sermon about a good guy who said nice things. Oh, no, Jesus is more than just a preacher or a prophet or a good man. No. Oh, Jesus is the one who came to save you from your sin. What did Philip preach? Well, what we know is he began at that same scripture. He began at Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. I want to point something out. Isaiah doesn't say he's going to be bruised, he's going to be wounded, and we are going to be forgiven. He said it's already happened. A thousand years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah was prophesying there is coming a day that the lamb slain from the foundations of the world is going to appear, and our price has already been paid. The blood has already been spent. The bruises have already been laid on him. He begins to preach. Isaiah 53. And then I, I would imagine that he just turns the page to Isaiah 54. And he preaches of God's everlasting kindness. And then he would have told him of an ever, everlasting covenant promised in chapter 55. And then they turn the page to Isaiah 56. And Philip continues preaching. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it. That keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither, neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say... And the eunuch went, what? What? Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. 
For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name that better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Oh, you, you hear what I'm saying today? This eunuch is thinking I'm disqualified. I'm no good. And he says, no, no, no. Keep reading in the story. Keep reading in the book. The Lord said unto the eunuch, I've got a promise for you too. I've got a way of escape for you too. I've got a covenant for you too. Oh, I think we can do better than that. The Lord says there is no one. There is no one that my grace cannot reach. There is no one that my blood cannot cover. There is no one that my covenant is not extended to. Come on, let's clap our hands unto the Lord. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. I feel like the Lord wants to do something in our life today. The promise is unto you and to your children and for those that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. This promise is for everyone. And when the eunuch heard this, he says, stop the chariot. Here is water. What hinders me? Is there anything? So if there's a covenant for eunuchs, does my, does my culture separate me? No. Does my gender separate me? No. D does my past separate me? Oh, no. What separates me? What, what would hold me back, Philip? And Philip says, just believe. Just believe. If you believe that Jesus wants to save you today, let's get out of this chariot. Let's get in that water and let's have your sins washed away. And let's make you a part of the body of Christ. And today I want to extend Philip's message to you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, how many times you've been rejected and told it won't work for you. What hinders you? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Salvation is for everyone. I know what you're thinking. You don't know me. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a failure. I'm strung out on drugs. I'm sitting in this church service right now with a hangover. Uh, you don't even know what I did last night. I have failed marriages. I have a drinking problem. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, what your name is, what language you speak, what culture you're from. It doesn't matter. It's for whosoever will. It's for whosoever will. It's for whosoever will. Let him come and drink of the waters of everlasting life. All throughout scripture, Jesus is reaching for people who it seems should be disqualified from his free gift of salvation. A Samaritan woman who had become a social outcast because of her five failed marriages. Jesus makes a special journey just for her. A greedy tax collector named Zacchaeus gets a personal invitation to lunch with the Savior and it changes his life 
A woman of ill repute has her sins forgiven at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus asked, let he who have no sins cast the first stone. In Acts 8, the message of salvation journeys outside of Israel to the despised Samaritans. In Acts 10, an Italian man and his whole house is filled with the Holy Ghost as the Gentiles are brought in to the body of Christ. In Acts 16, the very man given charge of holding the Apostle Paul captive is escorted to the water at midnight and he and his whole family is baptized. What an incredible story that is. And this is a different sermon, but I just want to give you the highlight. Paul teaches a Bible study at midnight. That, that jailer... Doesn't think to himself, well, let me go home and sleep on this. Wake up in the morning, talk it over with the wife. We're going to run down to the church that we were raised in. Check in with mom and the deacon board and find out. We're going to make sure it's okay. We're going to send out a bunch of Facebook notifications. We're going to try to get the whole family there. We're going to wait till Easter to make sure it's a real big deal. He hears the word of the Lord at midnight. It's probably 1 o'clock in the morning. And he goes, I need to be baptized we're doing it right now. Yeah. Bible goes a step further. He went to his house in the middle of the night. Poof, kicks open the door. Babe, get up. Dress the kids. We're getting baptized. She says, what is baptized? You'll figure it out in a minute. Today, if you're feeling that invitation of the Lord, that tug on your spirit, that drawing to make a new and fresh commitment, don't wait, don't delay, don't postpone, don't wait for a better season, a better hour, a better day. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. Salvation is for everyone. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 11 says, Know ye not the, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You just disqualified a lot of people. I thought you said it's for everyone. You just disqualified everybody I know. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Oh, I don't have it together today because of my family. But I got it today because I found Jesus. He found me. He washed me. He delivered me. He sanctified me. I need some of the such were some of you crowd to give a hand clap unto the Lord. When Jesus found me, I was addicted. I was lost and undone. My life was falling apart, but he saved me. In Acts 2, even the very 
multitude that Peter declared was responsible for crucifying Jesus when they asked what must we do even salvation was available to them now a minute ago I said it's a good thing I wasn't Philip it's a real good thing I wasn't Peter see had I been there that day and I said let all the house of Israel know assuredly this same Jesus whom you crucified you guys Everyone listening to me, you're the murderers. You're the sorry, no good for nothing killers of Jesus Christ. By the way, we've been waiting on him for like 4,000 years. Abraham and Moses and David were all like, he's coming, he's coming. We got him here and you killed him. Good job. What is wrong with you people? The Bible says they were pricked in their heart. It was like a sword smoked them to the heart. Ah. can't believe it we killed the we killed the messiah we killed the savior and then somebody from that crowd let out a cry what must we do oh if it had been one of us we might have said hey you missed your chance you know what you ought to do you ought to go kick rocks buddy you ruined it ain't nothing we can do for you but Peter was there that day. And 50 days ago, Peter was a denying, cussing, lying, no good for nothing Christian. He wasn't fit to be called a disciple. And then Jesus raises from the grave. And he says, Peter, I still got a message for you to preach. I've still got a church for you to lead. I've still got a promise for you to carry out. I know you made a mistake, but my grace is sufficient for you. Peter was the right guy to preach that day. Peter was the right guy to preach. They said, what must we do to be saved? And then Peter said unto them, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Ask God for forgiveness. Make an about face. If you're walking this way, start walking that way. Get off that broad way that leads to destruction. Get on that narrow way that leads to eternal life. Repent. Repent of your sins. People don't like that kind of preaching, but that's all the apostles ever preached. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I wish I could do what, what the apostle Peter did in Acts 10 and start commanding people to get baptized. Oh, you ain't never been baptized? You better do it right now. Get in that baptistry right now. I wish I could do that. Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter says, and the promise is unto you and to your children and those that are afar off. As many as the Lord our God shall call. What's that mean? Salvation is for everyone. Amen, amen. I am out of time. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Today, I believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit on some people. Some people who thought when they got here today, this is not for me. I'll never be what I need to be. I'll never be delivered. I'll never be healed. I'll never be set free. I'll never be washed. 
But I want to tell you a quick story or two, and then we're going to come to a close. My wife and I, about four, four years ago, uh, we were given the opportunity to travel to Australia for three months and evangelize in that beautiful nation. And for three months, for 12 weeks, we preached in 13 different churches about four or five nights a week. By the end of that journey, don't let them know I said this. By the end of that, I was just making stuff up. I didn't even know what I didn't even know what I was talking about. We were just preaching and preaching and preaching. But there were there were just dozens of hungry people that wanted this gospel message for themselves. So everywhere we went, people were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Not because we were there, but because the, the gospel works. The message works, and it's for everyone. It's for whosoever will. My favorite story to tell from that time is when we were there. We preached in a, a small church in the Sydney area for Pastor Don Mottarelli, an American pastor in Australia with a Filipino congregation. That was random enough. We preached, and when we were done, the, the altars would fill up. And that first time we were there, the altars filled up. And those, those Filipino people were so hungry for God. They ran to the altar. They threw their hands in the air. And I would go lay hands on them like this because I'm taller than Filipino people. I liked that. <laughs> I'd go lay hands on them, me and the pastor and Sister Rocio and, and the pastor's wife and the leaders of the church. We was praying in that first service. Uh, half, almost a dozen people, I think 11 people were filled with the Holy Ghost that day. And after the service, a young man named JV came and he said, Brother BB, in this half Filipino, half Australian accent, you know, Brother BB, my, my wife got the Holy Ghost today. And I was like, wow, that's great. And he said, you don't understand, she's from Thailand and she's a Buddhist. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. And then Pastor Mottarelli came over, he said the same thing. Pastor, my wife got the Holy Ghost today and she's a Buddhist. Pastor Mottarelli was like, wow, so cool. And then I think Sister Rocio came over and he said, he said, Sister Rocio, my wife got the Holy Ghost, she's a Buddhist. And finally it hit me. And I said, JV, no, she's not. She came here a Buddhist today, but today she's been filled with the presence of God. She is a child of the King. She belongs to Jesus Christ. She's a part of the body and a part of the bride. It doesn't matter what religion she was from before. All that matters is Christ is in her today. This past week, a young lady from Japan was visiting our church in Cooper City. She was visiting a young man who had done two years of schooling in Japan. She came to see him. And she was a young Christian girl from Japan, but not, you know, she didn't have what we would teach as the fullness of truth, but very sincere, very hungry. And throughout the week that she was visiting us, uh, I taught her a little Bible study. And some of the young people, really our young people, our youth group, got, got gathered around her. And they taught her about the oneness of God. And they taught her about Jesus' name, baptism. And they taught her about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so on Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, uh, Heather was her name. Heather came to me, and in her broken English, uh, she said, Pastor... 
I, I want to be baptized. I have never felt the love of Jesus more than I do in this church. I have never felt the love of Christ wrapping its arms around me like I do right now. And I am ready to be baptized in his name. I am ready to be washed in his blood. I am ready. We took, we took Heather to the baptistry about 9.30 on Wednesday night. Nobody was there. Just some young people in her. And I baptized her in Jesus' name. She is such a reserved and respectful young lady. But when she came out of that water, she threw her hands in the air and threw her head back. And the Holy Ghost was all over her. And the prince, hey, let me say it one more time. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. Let me finish with this two minutes. Last June, we took a youth on missions trip to Madagascar, Africa. There was about a hundred of us. And we got there and the missionary had set up a crusade for us to go minister at. And uh, in this crusade, it was an open air amphitheater that would host about 10,000 people. And over the weekend, we had large crowds, two to three to 4,000. And then on Sunday morning, there was 10,000 people. The first night we were in service, Friday night, it began to rain. And the preachers were under a canopy, but the people sitting in the, in the stadium were not under a canopy. And many of them, most of them, had no umbrella or, or anything to guard them from that rain. And I thought to myself, because I was raised in America, I thought to myself, they're going to get up and leave. But nobody left. They were taking notes, writing everything that we were preaching. They weren't real demonstrative in their praise and worship, how I had anticipated. I'd seen videos of, of uh, crusades before, and I thought they were just going to be demonstrative and wild, but they were quiet. They were leaning over their notepads with their body to shield it from the rain, and they were writing as fast as they could. At the base of the bleachers where they were sitting was probably a 50-yard gap, a 50-yard space where there was no chairs, no people, and I hated it. The whole time I was complaining to myself, like, we got to scream and yell, and we're so far away. We can't connect. We can't, they can't see facial expression. They can't feel what we're feeling. This is really, why did they set it up like this? They ruined it. They don't know how to do a crusade. First crusade I've ever been in, and I'm critiquing it. When we'd get done preaching... You'd say the Holy Ghost is for anybody that wants it tonight. If you want the Holy Ghost, why don't you make your way down this altar? And one or two or three would begin to come down those stairs. And then eventually you'd see four or five. And when they would hit that level ground in a full sprint, men, women, children, elders, they would sprint across that 50-yard barrier to that altar. And when they'd get to that altar, they'd throw their hands in the air. And I realized real quick why they left that space there. Because in a matter of three or four minutes, there'd be 10,000 people there, hands lifted, shouting out to God, wanting the Holy Ghost, asking God to fill them with their presence. In just four short services, 1,167 people were filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. There were miracle signs and wonders, blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. It was a book of Acts move of God. You know why? Because salvation, salvation is for everyone. Throw your hands in the air and let's worship God together for just a moment. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in this service, for the spirit you're about to pour out on this sanctuary. 
God touch you right now. Let a deep invitation of the Holy Ghost begin to draw you. God has something special in store for you today. Why don't you just grab somebody by the hand and just bring them down to this altar where God's going to pour out His Spirit. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know, if you get to this altar today needing the Holy Ghost, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. If you get to this altar today needing the deliverance, you're going to receive it. If you need your sins washed away, we've got water, we've got robes, we've got towels, we've got baptismal ministers, we've got everything you need. Just come to this altar and lift your hands high as the presence of the Lord fills this room right now.